Welcome to the Forward 40 Podcast, where we highlight the experiences of 40 women of color on the rise in the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors. This is an ode to our foremothers, a healing circle of our unique experiences, and a bridge of insight and wisdom across generations. to another episode of Forward 40. I really hope that you're just as jazzed for this ray of light that we have in the guest chair today. Today we have with us Sam Johnson, who is the program lead for Youth Preparedness for the American Red Cross. Welcome, Sam. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, yes, yes. So excited uh, just for the energy that is protruding through the, the sound waves right now. Um, and in anyone that, you know, is tuning in for sure, like you're, you are definitely going to be inspired um, and just energized by, by her story. Um, so with that, you know, let's just jump right in. Uh, when we connected, Sam, you said, I felt like the Red Cross chose me. Can you share more about like this career soul matching, one could say, of yeah. sorts, and why disaster response and emergency management? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was in college, I was sure that I was going to go to grad school to become a physician assistant. And so I went to the University of Portland and my undergrad degree is in biology and I have a minor in chemistry and I was taking all the pre-med classes that you have to take, doing all the internships. Um, but I was so burnt out after college. I knew that I needed to take a year gap right between applying for grad school and all that. So to be as productive as possible during this gap year, I decided to do a year of postgraduate service mm-hmm. and I landed on the Jesuit Volunteer Corps Northwest. Um, and the funny thing about applying for a postgrad service is a lot of times you apply for a program and as you're applying, you kind of have to pick multiple different positions that you feel like you could work with. And so for this program, you had to pick 10. Wow. And because I was on this like med school path, I was like, okay, there was an HIV and AIDS organization that I was like, oh, this is the one for me. And anything after that, I was like, not not interested. And I was like, nope, I guarantee that I will get this one, right? I was like, oh my gosh. And you had to be 10. And so I was perusing through all the positions and the one that caught my eye for my second and just total fallback option was um, with the American Red Cross of Alaska. And it was doing casework and preparedness education based out of Anchorage. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why I chose this position was because it has like a little disclaimer. And it was like, must be able to fly in small planes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I've never flown in a small plane before, but I could do that. (laughs) Um, And then I was like, yes, okay, that was it. I picked a bunch of other random ones into my application. And when they came back to me, they were like, we'd love to accept you, but we think you're perfect for the American Red Cross. Mm. And I remember having that moment where I was like, okay, this is not the position. I thought exactly. I still help me get into grad school. Yeah. Like, ooh, this, this is really right. 
And turns out it was. Um, and my friend Erica, who actually got the position with the HIV and AIDS organization, was way more qualified than I was. So it turned <laughs> it all worked out for the best. Um, but that's kind of, and I don't know too, it's, you know, maybe the Jesuit volunteer for Northwest chose it for me as well. And Red Cross had to be like, nope, she's the one for us. And um, so I interviewed and applied and I got it. And so I spent a year with the American Red Cross of Alaska doing casework after disasters and doing preparedness education across the state. And that's how, that's how it all came to be. Wow. Wow. Um, so let's go back to this, you know, must be comfortable writing in small planes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm one that I'm afraid of heights yet. Um, <laughs> yet, you know, just in, you know, bigger planes are more comfortable because mm-hmm. it feels like I'm enclosed. So I don't know yeah. if, you know, riding in a small plane is either better or synonymous with that experience, but right. there's definitely more to your work than just being able to ride in, in a small plane. Um, so right. how did you navigate like building a relationship with the Alaskan community? Um, and then mm-hmm. also like when we briefly spoke uh, before, um, we talked about just like this a uh, sense of like racial ambiguity. And I know you also had service in the Virgin Islands as well. So do you think mm-hmm. that any of that played a factor in your work then or now in, in the space? Yeah, uh, all great questions. So the thing about flying in small planes, you're usually going to small communities that are often removed from either like the main hub or the mainland in mm-hmm. this case. Um, and so I think, so I get on these like little bush planes in Alaska and I go to these Alaska native communities and I think, you know, and then with my recovery work in the U.S. Virgin Islands a couple of years later, you're island hopping. So you're in really small planes as well. Mm. <laughs> it, it was an ongoing joke that the Red Cross only put me in really small planes <laughs> and they're just trying to see how small the plane could get <laughs> before I was like, no, okay. <laughs> So I think, it, but yes, your testament, it's your, the small plane kind of signifies you're in these communities that, you know, don't necessarily have access to all of the resources that being in a big city would offer. And um, being able to travel and simultaneously build relationships with communities that, one, I was not a part of, mm. but two, had no real historical background with one being in Alaska and I grew up in Washington state and then the U.S. Virgin Islands, I think it lended itself to like a really important life lesson that I learned first working in Alaska. And then I kind of took what I learned um, in Alaska and applied it to my experience in USCI. And I think one of the most important things I learned is that through our disaster preparedness education programs at the Red Cross, one of the things that I feel like is really important to me is a there's no catch to our programming, right? It's not a, I do this for you and then you have to do something for me. It's mm. just me going in to be like, hey, like, I want you to stay as safe as possible in an emergency. And that's it. And I think if there was a catch, I wouldn't have felt so drawn to this work because it kind of becomes like a gimmick, right? Mm. At a point. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, you know, we'd get connected through other community members and I'd be like, hey, this village would love to host you. And so we'd get to go. And the most important thing I realized with all the trips that I got to go on is 
especially when you can talk about something as unifying as a disaster, right? So a flood or a hurricane or a wildfire, you're like, hey, I'm with the Red Cross. So many people have Red Cross stories or so many people have experienced disasters. And so when they know that you're in that work, they just want to share their story with you. Mm. And so being able to just listen is probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned because I'm a very like action oriented problem solver. So if someone is like, oh my gosh, I have all these problems, I'm going to be like, okay, I have all the answers. Mm. And what I learned is that sometimes people don't really they don't need you to tell them the answer, right? It's like they've got the community, they've got their resources, and they just want to share that experience with you. And I feel like that's where you kind of build that connection, you build that trust, you foster that community, one just as a person, but also as an organization with a community. And something that I found so valuable with being the person to come in to be like, hey, I just want you to be safe. And let's go from there. Mm. And everything that I learned working in Alaska Native Villages lent me to that same experience when I was um, doing recovery work, specifically through preparedness education in the U.S. Virgin Islands after Hurricanes Irma and Maria. Because so many people, it's like you go into a community after they've experienced a hurricane a year later, and they want to tell you what the experience was like for them. Because when when they share that story with you, then you have a better understanding of their experience. But at the same time, you can help cater your education to them as well, right? So you can give them new ideas for their preparedness or encourage them or whatever it needs to be. Um, but I learned how to just listen and not try to fix everything that presented mm. itself to me. Mm. Um, and so I think that, that that was like the really valuable part. Like flying on small planes is both, the literal thing that I had to do but it was metaphorical in a way too because being on a small plane for a lot of people is like getting out of your comfort zone mm. right it's a little bit scary it's a little bit uncomfortable you don't feel as safe as if you were in like a huge you know regional airplane um and so it's symbolic of that too right to just be like all right here I am I'm going to come help you in the best way that I can and listen to your experience. Mm. And then we can go forward together. I love that. I love that. Love that. Um, And it makes not, not that I would be ready to get on a small plane tomorrow, uh, (laughs) but but it makes me just the metaphor um, of how you connected your experience uh, with that mode of transportation. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I like the, the connectedness there. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so, uh, you know, the service corps uh, mm-hmm. was Jesuit, uh, was a Jesuit service corps. And I would be remiss mm-hmm. if I didn't touch on the faith component of your journey to service. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, you shared that there's also this background in Buddhism and Catholicism influence from your mom. And I love, love this quote uh, that you said. Uh, from your mom, Jesus will forgive, but there's cause and effect. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hilarious. Um, What key principles um, of either of those uh, faiths have you held onto today as you continue uh, to work in uh, the space of service? Yeah. Um, So it's interesting because I feel like, so my mom was Buddhist and she converted to Catholicism and that's um, why she put my sister and I in Catholic school growing up 
first grade and beyond. Um, and I think for her, you know, it's not like we were cradle Catholics. And so I feel like as I was learning about my faith, she was learning about her faith too, right? It wasn't like they had this background in Catholicism and then they were going to teach us and take us to church. So there was kind of this, you know, understanding that we were all learning and growing together. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting looking back on that experience now as an adult, right? Because I could see it was like Catholic, being Catholic with like Buddhist tendencies. You know, it's like you're saying, my mom, I'd come home from school and be like, you know, I learned today, if, you know, if I sin, it's okay. I can go to confession. Jesus will forgive me. And she'd be like, yeah, but also if you do bad things, bad things will happen to you. <laughs> I don't know if that's just like mom fear being like, don't be bad or else, you know, who knows what's going to happen just to like make sure I stayed in line. <laughs> but it's true though, right? I think that, you know, as I've gotten older and have made my faith my own, this understanding that, yeah, I grew up going to Catholic school, but I think so much of, you know, why I chose the Jesuit Volunteer Corps and why, you know, service is such a huge part of my life is that, you know, I've always been taught about Catholic social justice teaching, right? Mm-hmm. And regardless of what you feel about Catholicism or Buddhism today and everything that gets mixed in with politics and whatever it is, right, is that at the very core of that teaching, and I think of Buddhism as well, it's just trying to be the best person you can be and also doing what you can for the people in your life and the people in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always been the foundation. I think more than anything, that was something that my parents were like, you know, there's not some aspect of your life where you're helping other people or getting back to your, your community, then you're doing it wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why too, I feel so passionately about what we do or at least what I get to do at the Red Cross and um, the education we get to provide and the people we get to connect with and just kind of the lasting impact that we hope it has. Yes, yes, yes. And similar to you, uh, family is not Catholic, was never Catholic, Uh, went to Catholic school just because mm-hmm. mom um, saw that as the better option within my community. Yeah, um, <laughs> Yeah, it was education, <laughs> you know, uh, focused and driven um, at, at mm-hmm. that time. And, I mean, granted, there are so many more options that are available um, to, mm-hmm. to students and, and, and families now, but that was from first grade all through high school, uh, Catholic oh. school, uh, and in terms of um, just more of kind of like a religious identity. Um, and I went to mm-hmm. a Baptist church cause that's where, uh, yeah. my, my, uh, late grandmother, you know, was affiliated with a, a church that was in the community. So I completely, mm-hmm. um, get the sense of, um, service and making sure that you're doing good for others. Like just this, um, the, the sense of really loving your neighbor, caring for, caring for those uh, that you are adjacent to um, and, you know, being a good steward of, of your gifts and talents for, for the greater good of, yeah. of others. Um, yeah. Um, yeah so when, you know, like when reflecting on your time of being a medical scribe, uh, you said mm-hmm. it's hard to give up on the dream you told yourself you're going to be. And mm-hmm. I just left it 
for so many reasons. Um, and, you know, there are younger professionals and also more seasoned professionals that are realizing that their quote unquote dream job isn't so much the dream anymore. Right. And that's for a variety mm-hmm. of, of reasons. What advice would you give to someone that's in this predicament of, you know, realizing that what they thought was their dream isn't? their reality yeah yeah exactly so it's funny because you know in college I was like I'm going to become a physician assistant and then I moved to Alaska and I'm like oh my gosh I love the mission of the Red Cross and the work that I get to do mm-hmm. but I was still holding on to that dream of becoming a physician assistant so I moved back home and I was like I'm going to be a scribe in the ER and I'm going to shadow doctors and nurse practitioners and PAs and I'm going to make this fit for my life and I remember I had this moment where I I was like, this isn't, this isn't going to work anymore. Like, this isn't what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so then I decided to go to Tulane and get my master's degree in disaster resilience leadership, which led me onto the path of doing recovery work in USCI and my current position. But it, it is that moment, right? Um, it's funny because as we were talking about this, this kind of moment where, you know, I've told people for years that I wanted to become a physician assistant. I told, you know, I'm going to be, I've told myself over and over again that my, my career will be in the medical field. And to make the pivot then to be like, actually, I'm going to go study disasters and learn more about Prince education and try and get a job. Um, and that kind of pivot and letting go of that was something that I didn't, it was so much harder for me than I thought. Yeah. Because you tell yourself for so long that you're going to be this thing. And then even though you know it's right to change, to let that go, to let go of that part of who you thought you were, to be something else that you know really nothing about. Um, I was one of those moments where I was like, oh man, this is like, I got to be all in with it because I mean, not to say that I couldn't change my mind later on, but it's funny when we were talking about this earlier. So the president and CEO of the American Red Cross, her name's Gail McGovern, and she's this really wonderful leader and she speaks about leadership. And I was reading some of um, the articles she's written the other day about leadership. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of one of her leadership pillars. She's got a couple, but the one that really stuck out the most to me was this ability to, I think she says, embrace change and course correct. Mm-hmm. And embrace change, I think is one of those things that can, you know, whatever stage in your life, right? We had to embrace the change of being in the pandemic, right? You either embraced it or you fought it. And that kind of determined how you handled the whole situation. And then being able to course correct, you know, in the sense of the pandemic to be like, okay, now I have to wear masks. Now I have to take all these extra precautions. But I feel like in my life, it was that moment, right? Where I was like, all right, like I have to embrace this change that I'm now choosing for myself. And the course correction is me deciding I no longer wanted to pursue a career in the medical field. And now I'm going to pursue a path in preparedness education, right? Mm. But I think it's it transpires to even the smallest things, right? You could be working on a project that could be going really well and you hit a roadblock and you're like, wait a minute, this, this, this doesn't work at all anymore. Like this, you know, a new factors come into play or new elements come into play and we have to change. Um, and maybe that's changed from a mistake that you made or it's just the powers that be and you have to be able and flexible to be able to course correct yes. and I feel like that's kind of like the Red Cross in a nutshell right you're like okay this is totally you know chaos right now so let's course correct and make sure we get ourselves on the right path hmm. um, and I feel like just in the sense of like my life that's 
exactly what it is. Like in being able to embrace the change and then course correct doesn't mean it's going to be easy or that you're not going to like grapple with it and be like, Ooh, is this right? Is it not right? But I feel like you always kind of have that moment where you're like, Nope, like this is new and this is scary. And this is, I don't know anybody in my life who's done this before really. Um, so what's it going to actually look like? I don't know. And then to be like, all right, you know what, regardless of all that, I'm going to do it. Course correction for my life's career choice mm. and then go from there. Yes. Um, but I mean, it's the same. Like, this is the path I'm on now, right? But that doesn't mean I couldn't course correct a couple years down the correct. line and do something totally different. Correct, right? correct, correct, correct. Um, I, I love just like the fluidity just in by virtue of the nature of the work that you're in, mm-hmm. like with disasters, that um, there are things that you can put in place and and you know this because you're in the education seat, you know, um, mm-hmm. to prepare as much as you can, yet the disaster is going to be the disaster and it may not necessarily be to the magnitude that one um, can fully predict or anticipate and then there are the recovery efforts, right? Um, and the lessons learned on how to either better prepare, uh, better yeah. educate, uh, and pivot for uh, future future disasters, whether it's fires, um, you know, hurricanes, whatever. Uh, so just by virtue of the nature of the work that you're in, it's very reflective of your decision to even be you know in this space (laughs) Um, you must be flexible (laughs) exactly 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 and that's the that's hard uh for for people um who you know they're they may be risk averse right (laughs) they like they like the predictability of I know what Mm -hmm. I'm doing exactly at eight o'clock in the morning and then nine and so on and so forth and then if you throw them off a couple of minutes or whatever the case may be, that could yeah. that could really, really be earth shattering uh, for them, mm-hmm. um, let alone like having to make a decision uh, about changing the course of, of one's life. So uh, thank thank you so much for sharing that. And when you when you also mentioned the, the point about like a project that you're working on and something doesn't necessarily go right. I was also thinking, or you're working on this project and you thought in the original job description that you would be so excited about it. And then you're, yeah. and then you're yeah. working on it. You're oh. like, oh no, <laughs> this is yeah. not what yeah. I thought. Exactly. <laughs> not what I thought I signed up for. Um, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, just for that um, reflection on pivoting and uh, adjusting to to change and course correction yeah yeah it's funny that you say that too because I think the reason I'm so drawn to preparedness and preparedness education is it is like the only thing you can control before an emergency Mm. right and so that's like what we tell people right is whatever situation you find yourself in whether it is just like you know get a flat tire or, you know, you're evacuating from a wildfire. Your preparedness is the only thing that you have control over beforehand. And how, like, how prepared you are is really going to change 
the outcome of how you're able to respond when that is happening. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that control piece, right? In the like most chaotic situation, right? Like if you know you have a little bit of peace of mind knowing that you've got all of your ducks in the row, when that chaotic thing happens, you won't feel quite as bad. You'll still feel bad, but you won't feel as bad. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, I'm like, oh, drawn to that. The smallest piece of control in a very chaotic Mm-hmm. situation can I think a lot of times for a lot of people make the world a difference and can be that really grounding piece yeah in whatever that scenario is um because I it's the same it's like you know we crave structure and control and you know that you know the world is so unpredictable mm-hmm. as it is that you know if we can take just a few steps to be a little bit more prepared um can really be a game changer Yes, yes. And remind ourselves of what is within our control and relinquishing Mm -hmm. control for that which isn't. Um, Yeah, Yeah. thank you. Thank you for that addition. Um, So I was drawn to you because of your service, Mm -hmm. uh, your humanitarianism, and also the emergency management experience and disaster response, uh, because, you know, surprise, surprise, uh, you know, global warming is a thing uh, for people that are still questioning (laughs) if if, if that is Mm -hmm. true. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, it it is front and center, you know, like just environmental justice and sustainability is front and center. Um, And you also shine you know across the screen and also I'm sure in real life so um how important is it for you that other Asian women see themselves in your experience um and why does representation matter right you know I was thinking about the you know the word representation I feel like it's a hot topic word right now just like the words diversity and inclusion and it, it reminds me of all the words in my field that like disaster and resilience and mm-hmm. vulnerability. And it's all these words that you hear over and over again that meant something at one point. And now that we hear them all the time, you're like, wait a minute, what does that word even actually mean? Mm-hmm. When does it, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to my organization? What does it mean to my family? And um, so I was thinking about like the word representation and, you know, we hear all the time representation matters. Um, but I think about, you know, like, okay, so if representation does matter, how in my life has representation impacted me? And I think representation beyond, you know, race or gender or educational background or religious beliefs or ability even is that, you know, when you see any part of your identity in somebody else who's doing something that you never thought you could do, that's when the world opens up, right? It's like the possibilities for your life become so much more achievable and tangible. And I think about like my childhood role models. And now it's funny now, like looking back as an adult being like, oh, like as a kid, I was like, this is all I had. And so I, I used to love, not not used to love, I still love, but <laughs> I loved watching Christy Yamaguchi and Michelle Kwan ice skate in the Olympics and I was like oh my gosh they're doing it like I also can be an Olympic champion ice skater like mm-hmm. that's right it's like I could see myself and then therefore I could also do it of course I like I actually like really don't like ice skating at all <laughs> like I'm a terrible ice skater I have no business being on the ice in any way shape or form 
but I could see myself in them because I look like them, mm. right? And so when you look like somebody, you see them doing something that you never think that you could do yourself, but it's like, ah, like, what a relief. Like, they can do it, then I can do it. Mm. And now in my life, I'm not an Olympic champion by any means, especially in ice skating, but we have a phrase um, in my <laughs> on my team called being a preparedness champion. Mm. So though I'm not an Olympic ice skating champion, I am a self-proclaimed preparedness champion. And I think that is enough for me. Mm. But I think it's true. It's like, if, like as an Asian woman, I don't see myself in this field a whole lot. There's like a handful of us. Because emergency management specifically is a male-dominant world, specifically white men. Mm. Um, so preparedness is a little bit, um, it's a little more flexible. So you do have kind of more of a female influence and preparedness and mm. um, response you have to like pick up the bags and run right mm. and so uh, there's a little more stability in preparedness and the way that we're structured not to say that us at the request like we all have a different hat in every different phase of the like the disaster response cycle so um but I do think it's true it's like the only reason why I felt like I could be in this role is that the three women who came before me paved the way and were like we can, we did this and we can do it and you can do it too. Mm. And I, I would, I don't know. I don't have any family who's in this field. I don't have any like extended friends, but I was just really lucky to be taken in by Red Crossers and have been mentored along the way by a variety of different people. Um, but I do think there's kind of ownership too. When you don't see a lot of people who look like you doing the work that you're doing, it becomes so much more important to be mm. able to do it and to share your story, right? Mm. Because I feel like for so long, and so I'm so grateful you're doing this podcast is because I didn't know that I could have a career in the nonprofit mm. world, right? I didn't know I could make a career out of helping people. And for so long, women were told that their stories weren't worth telling and black and indigenous and people of color were told that they were, stories what we're telling unless it was very dramatic or traumatic and mm -hmm. now we're kind of in this space where you know specifically women who are black indigenous or people of color were told that their stories weren't worth telling and it kind of makes me sad to think about all the stories we, we missed out on yes. because of that because that's like what society told us wasn't going to sell or you know the powers that be were like no the story isn't worth we're not worth worth telling when it totally was right yes and absolutely. so I think it's it's, it's one of those things where it's like I being on this podcast is totally out of my comfort zone because I don't really ever get to tell or talk about my life mm -hmm. um, but I also know that how important it is to do that especially now yes. and to be able to share that because you know maybe somebody who is interested in, in this field stumbles upon this podcast or any of the episodes and see themselves in the woman that you're interviewing and think okay like whatever aspect of themselves they see in these interviews, then, you know, that opens up the world for them and maybe that they think that this is something that they can pursue too. Yes. Um, so I think there's so much value in that, right? And that's why representation is so important, not for me just being an Asian woman on this path towards trying to prepare the youth of America, but um, just as a human person trying to make connections and maybe making the journey for somebody else a little bit more tangible. Mm. That was so beautiful. And I did my best to refrain from crying. 
because I was no. just so I was so moved that you know like just in your reflection I'm like yes this is a part of my why uh, with the mm-hmm. podcast um, that. I could have chosen, and I know I've said this before, I could have chosen to have this solely centered on black women. Um, Mm -hmm. And I pushed myself to say, okay, I know that I've been impacted by other women, um, all all of, with, with the exception of one, throughout my career, my supervisors were all women. Um, and I didn't necessarily see the representation that I needed to see in the quote unquote C-suite or executive leadership. And I know that my peers Mm -hmm. didn't either. Right. So I wanted to ensure that that very thing, right. That people would either be able to see a physical, you know, identifier and or hear in the story like, oh, I grew up in Tacoma as well. Or, oh, Mm -hmm. I've been interested in service, you know, like just various things that are a part of our identities that will then inspire and um, that our stories are shared. That, yes, we um, there's been a a great deal of. the stories that have uh, attempted to solely be centered on trauma as it relates to Mm -hmm. our communities. Um, Yet there isn't always that space beyond like a month that is reflecting on a particular identity to share and celebrate our resilience and our excellence. Mm -hmm. So uh, thank you so, so much. And um I was also reflecting as you were talking, I'm like, how did I even come across Sam? And to be quite honest with you, I know we connected on LinkedIn and I do not remember how Mm -hmm. I came across your profile. And I'm just so grateful uh, that, that I did. And that's, that tends to be the case with a lot of the guests that I've had. Um, Mm -hmm. It's either, you know, LinkedIn or article that I read. I mean, I, 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 I do a, a pretty thorough kind of as thorough as I can, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, um, right, right. like, like intentional, intentional look and scan of, okay, well, what voices have not been represented and also what part of the work. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you're the, let, let me do another, let me do like a mental scan thus far. Yeah. You're the only one that is in the, emergency you know preparedness disaster Mm -hmm. space and I thought that it was very very important for us to highlight that um especially for those that are not necessarily don't um perceive that they will experience a disaster maybe because they're not uh you know on the coast or you know like in a flood zone Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth yeah so thank yeah. you. Or that you can make a career out of it, right? Exactly. I never would have exactly, <laughs> exactly. 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 Um, so again, Sam, thank you so, so much for sharing your story and stepping outside of your comfort zone to being uh one of our 40 and um to be featured on this platform. You know that we close with the T affirmation. I'm so excited <laughs> to because I know you've had time to think about this. Uh, what 
what would your tea affirmation be for our listeners? Yeah, so I think I will stay on my straight and true. And um, the tea affirmation is to embrace change and course correct if you need to. Mm-hmm. And that is from our president and CEO, Gail McGovern, who has um, definitely been a great uh, role model for me to have at this organization. So I will leave you with that. Hmm. Well, thank you, Gail. And thank you, Sam. Embrace change (laughs) and course correct if you need to. Wonderful, wonderful. So Sam, how do people stay connected with you um, and kind of like follow your journey or if they had like other inquiries about your work, how would they um, connect with you? Sure. Yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn um, under Sam Johnson. I think you just have to search Sam Johnson Red Cross and I'll show up. Um, But I'm also on Instagram at Sam K. Johnson and I'm on Twitter at Sam K. Johnson as well. Happy to connect with anyone too. I love just even, I mean, I don't have to know you to just be like, (laughs) oh, I'll tell you anything you want to learn. Or I'll just tell you about how to be better prepared. I'm happy to do that as well. Well, thank you so, so much, Sam. It was great, thank great you. talking to you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for doing what you're doing. It's, it's an important work, and I'm really grateful that you reached out. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Until we connect again, sip, sis, say la, share, and continue to serve.